Get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s, from great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey, mamas, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Sharon Silver of ProactiveParenting.net. This is the second show in our four-part series, and today's show is about arguing. Now, you're going to want to go to iTunes and find uh, the other shows or Google us at Motherhood Talk Radio, Military Mom Talk Radio, or Toginet.com, where you can find this and other shows with Sharon Silver, because these shows are huge. I take notes during the show. I actually implement uh, a lot of the things that Sharon teaches on her website and in her programs at ProactiveParenting.net but every single episode I do with her I come away with tangible practical parenting solutions that start working right away. These are not things that you have to implement when your kid is two for them to work when you're 12. Well it would be great if they could but as Sharon has put it life is life, kids are kids, parenting is parenting we learn as we go now today's show is about arguing and i have two like supreme arguers you know i used to say to the kid's dad he should be an attorney because my ex-husband is one of the best arguers i know he can argue till the day is done he actually gets energized by arguing i get defeated by arguing and both of my kids have pulled that exceptional arguing ability into their fold. And now in certain cases and in certain professions, Sharon, arguing is can be a good skill to have. And how you argue, though, is where I have the, like, the button I want to press and go, you know, arguing is not all good or all bad, but there should be some rules to engagement. And boy, when your kids get into the preteen, teen arguing stage, I want to pull my hair out. And I love my blonde hair. So help me keep my blonde hair by not tearing it out with all the arguing. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Um, thank you for the wonderful warm welcome. I appreciate it. Um, you know, arguing is um, is built on what happens after yelling. You know, yelling is the crescendo. Yelling is the is the thunder that arrives, and then usually it starts moving into arguing because things are not completely finished after you're done yelling. Um, a lot of people really believe that arguing is a pervasive, is a persuasive skill. And so that makes it okay. But arguing is, is, is a, I'm having a hard time saying that word, a persuasive skill. If there's not intensity and anger and, um, just a lot of yuck that's attached with it. And I say yuck instead of finding a word because it's emotional. And I want parents to really understand that 
everybody has different emotions around that arguing. So there isn't one word that fits it perfectly. But arguing is really clearly and simply about, I don't feel heard. That's what's at the root of arguing. And I am a big believer in finding the root. If you really want to change things, you find the root of where it is, and it will naturally dissolve coming forward from there. So arguing occurs when someone feels as if they need to defend themselves or their position because they haven't had that opportunity. Or could it be ego? Like, you know, one of the things that I've got, I've got one, you know, like Mr. Right, and he has to be right. Like being right is tied into this kid's psyche. He's, he's a little like, he's almost like Cliff Clavin, you know, from Cheers, where he's Mr. Acquisition of Knowledge. And, you know, and then we have to put it up to Google to settle it. Well, let's Google it. This will settle the argument. And I, you know, at some point, I say to the kids, do you want to be right or do you want to have a relationship? Do you want to be right or do you want to have friendships? Do you want to be right or do you want to be in a marriage? You know, And then we talk a lot about what is right because Pluto was a planet for me growing up. Pluto's not a planet for my kids. So kind of like this arguing over who is right, what is right. Your truth, my truth. I mean, this is where, Sharon, I just get, I get spun around in circles and I want to go and bounce a basketball for like an hour until I calm down. I'm sorry, Pluto's not a planet? (laughs) No, Pluto's not a planet anymore. They've downgraded it. Uh, Um, Yeah, they did a whole episode on the Big Bang Theory about the scientists that downgraded the planet because Pluto was Sheldon's favorite planet. And, you know, Pluto's my favorite planet, too. And I was so upset when Pluto was downgraded (laughs) from being a planet. I think that that really brings into play the truth about life is progressive. Life changes. What we knew as children um, is not necessarily what our children know. Therefore, there are opportunities for us to acknowledge their truth, their wisdom. And in doing so, we send them a vote of confidence. We say, I actually believe in you. And maybe you do know something that I don't know. I've had to eat my words over and over again when it comes to technology. Not only are my kids extremely computer savvy, it's what they do for their careers. They understand things I have no idea about. However, my thing is, just like you said, do you want to be right or do you want to have this relationship? It's like, how are you presenting yourself? I want parents to understand that the way that you would help a child dismantle their arguing is to not attack the arguing itself, but to bring, shed a light on the impact it has on another human being. That not only is the arguing, yes, you might be right, but everything, and that's where I use the word yuck, all that stuff that circles around the arguing, all the emotions, all the anger, the frustration, the anxiety, that is packed around your good words. And that is what hits the other person first. So the other person has to make their way through the anxiety and the fear and the anger before they're ever going to hear your words. And sometimes they'll walk away and your words are wasted. So is that really what you want? If you truly want your words to have an impact on another human being, rephrase it. Think about this. Think about how you're delivering it. 
And then, so that's the positive side. But then as parents, we have other work, which is you can't just insist that your children do that. You have to say, well, why are you arguing? You're arguing because somewhere deep inside, you don't feel heard. And that's what I want to get to. So anytime you have a situation with a child where they're arguing, you want to go after and say, I'm guessing you don't feel like I listen to you. I'm guessing that you don't feel like you have the right or the opportunity to tell me how you really feel. Is that true? And if it is, I am so very sorry. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a beautiful thing for parents to say, I am so very sorry. The child goes, you are? Yes. I love you. We need to work this out. Well, and I want to just jump in here really quickly about the I'm sorry, because recently I was going to the gym with my older son, who's 13, and I don't know, he made some comment about his younger brother, you know, putting him down, which was my hot button. And for those of you that want to learn about hot buttons and yelling, uh, go check out uh, the first uh, episode in this series, because it's a really good one. And Sharon, I... I jumped down my 13-year-old's throat about, you know, always putting his brother down and how, you know, this happened to me and it, it, it bothered me and it affected me in my life and blah, 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 blah. But I really lit into him. I mean, I wasn't yelling or screaming, hitting like that, but I was I was hot. I was really hot under the collar. And, you know, he started arguing back with me and we got into this big argument that culminated with both of us slamming the car doors into the gym. So we go into the gym. I'm on the treadmill or the like running as if my life depended on it. He's over there lifting weights as if, you know, he's going to, you know, break his arms off. After the workout, we go in the car on the way home. And I said, you know, uh, kid, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I shouldn't have yelled at you. This is my stuff. And uh, I'm really sorry. And he's like, you know what, mom? He goes, I'm sorry. He goes, because I argued with you because of this. And he goes, I really wasn't mad at you. This happened at school. And this is why I was mad. And we got to such a greater understanding. Now we couldn't have done this two years ago, Sharon, without a lot of the advice I took from you, you know, in those years and in building um, conversations with my kid, but we were closer after the argument. And I, you know, obviously I wish the argument didn't happen, but I'm human. My kid is human. There's going to be, there's going to be good days and bad days, but saying you're sorry to your kid and really feeling it, a lot of times opens the door for them to be okay about not not being perfect either. Absolutely. You have to be real with your children. They have to know because imagine you have a perfect parent. Then that's the model that you're holding up and saying, this is what you're supposed to be. And children will feel like failures before they ever leave your home. They'll feel like failures out of the gate. There is no perfection. The sooner you admit that to your children, the better off they're going to be. But your story is filled with so much goodness and gold. Notice that both of you had issues that were underlying the arguing. The arguing was an explosion. It was the opportunity. If you can look at arguing and say, wow, that was an opportunity for us to really figure out what's going on here. What aren't we saying? And that was what's happening. You weren't talking about how your childhood had affected you. And this was a hot button for you. And your son wasn't telling you what happened at school. So both of those things were coming together, it hit a crescendo, and you began arguing. 
it's really possible for parents and children to have different opinions without arguing. Boy, arguing is something that I could talk about all day long in our house. But before we continue, I'd like to give a message from Madison Reed, and I'd like to thank them for sponsoring today's show. Madison Reed is a company that's revolutionizing the way all women color their hair, a company the founder, Amy Arrett, named after her daughter. For decades, women have had two options, outdated at-home hair color or the time and expense of a salon. Amy created Madison Reed because she believes women deserve better than the status quo. Madison Reed is the ultimate hair color hack. It's got the quality of salon color, the convenience and affordability of at-home hair color, and an ammonia-free formula with ingredients you can feel good about. Experience beautiful multi-dimensional hair color made in Italy, delivered to your door, on your schedule for under $25. I love my Madison Reed color because my hair looks shiny, healthy, and happy. And I'll tell you, when I get up in the morning and I like what I see in the mirror, that's a great way to start my day. And a good hair day means I have a great day. Join the hundreds and thousands of women who have tried and loved Madison Reed, and to find your perfect shade, go to madison-reed.com. Madison Reed would like to honor Military Mom Talk Radio listeners with 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit by using promo code MILITARYMOM at checkout. That's madison-reed.com, promo code MILITARYMOM. I really love my Madison Reed color, and you will too. We're going to get back after the break, and we're going to deconstruct this scenario because I think it plays to almost any um, parent-child relationship. You're going to hit this at some point for some reason. We're visiting today with Sharon Silver of ProactiveParenting.net. This is the second in a four-part series. You're going to want to check us out on iTunes, Military Mom Talk Radio, Motherhood Talk Radio, and TogiNet. for this and other episodes like it because this is gold you guys this is the parenting stuff real it's live it's it's solution oriented so that we can really enjoy our kids and I'm going to quote Tara Kennedy Klein your kids don't have to love you but they don't have to hate you either we'll be back after the break Stay with us. There's lots more great conversation to come on Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. Got my dreams, got my life, got my love. Got my friends, got the sunshine above. Why am I making this hard on myself when there's so many beautiful reasons I have to be happy? Hey, mamas, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Sharon Silver of ProactiveParenting.net, and we're going to deconstruct a scenario that happened to me recently with my uh, older son, and we're going to the gym, and we both got into a big fight, and I'll be honest, I was not the most mature parent in the uh, brightest bulb in the chandelier analogy, Um, and I did break down on the way home and say, you know, hey, look, kid, I'm sorry, 
you know, I'm, I yelled at you because of this. It really wasn't you and it, it's not your fault and I'm sorry. And then he's like, hey, mom, he's like, you know, I had a bad day at school. I had problem, you know, win math or history. I forget. I think it was math. Um, but, you know, he had something going on in his life and we came together and clashed, which is going to happen as parents and children. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's a really great story. It's a slice of daily life. And I think the first place we have to start with is that when a parent and child argue, it's usually implied, unless it's otherwise stated, that the parent is correct, that the child needs to come around and see and accept the child's, uh, the parent's point of view. But the truth is that no two people are alike. Everybody has a different point of view, a different wound. And each of us has our own reasons why we believe why we believe that. And the sad truth about that is that most parents don't give a fig about why their kids believe what they believe. They just want the behavior to stop. And that's going to produce more and more arguing. So, you know, what you have to do is you have to look at what's underneath all of this. And what was underneath it for your son was something that happened with math. And your behavior, um, the way you handled the situation, just ticked him off to a point that reminded him of not feeling heard, not having his needs addressed in his math class. I'm making it up because I don't really know. But, um, you know, he began to shut down and he began to yell at you and argue with you basically sending up a red flag, which is, please probe, please go further. I'm stuck here. I don't know what to do. You need to help me figure this out. And arguing is that method. Wow. That's huge. I mean, it's like if, if every teenager could wear a t-shirt that says, mom, when I'm arguing with you or dad, when I'm arguing with you, you know, I need I, I, there's something else going on I need to talk to you about, and I don't know how to do it. Is that, yeah. is that a translation? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you think about it. Whenever your two-year-old or three-year-old had a temper tantrum and they were spinning around on the floor, you didn't really say, oh, it's not nice to spin around on the floor. You go, what's going on, baby? What's going on? Where did it start to change is about age five, six, and seven is when we began no longer caring about why they do what they do. We just began caring about stop doing what you're doing. And so the dynamic changes and the dialogue changes, and now you're building something on top of a foundation. Imagine this, from birth until the age of five, we basically are giving children everything they need. We're trying anyway. We hear them. We respond to them. We ask them what's going on. So that's ingrained in their foundation. And then they grow up and they start having an attitude and, you know, daily life gets in there. And all of a sudden, we're no longer caring about what's going on underneath. We just want it to stop. So there's a conflict there. And the child starts realizing, where'd you go? What happened to that person who always wanted to know what's going on? And that's what arguing is. Please go back, mom. Please help me figure this out. I'm too young to figure out what happened to me and how to articulate this. Help me. Well, and this is where I'm going to put in like some of these family of origin things too, is that these are skills you get better at, like moms and dads listening. You know, I'm a person, Sharon, that my way to deal with things a lot of times is to disconnect, shut off, shut down, like check out. So 
it was hard for me when I first learned this in one of my parenting classes, and then I worked with a, a really good therapist and counselor to identify what I was feeling because I kind of had two speeds. I had mad and sad. There wasn't mm-hmm. a whole lot of gray area in there because I had spent, you know, 35 years stuffing everything down and just just ignoring it. So it was hard for me to identify my own feelings as as silly as that sounds as a grown up i didn't know what i was feeling and i i had to figure out how to get to the root of what i was feeling and that was that was a skill set i needed to have but in the meantime i passed on to both my kids a, an ignorance of their own feelings and so we all had to work as a little triad, a unit, the three of us, to really go, well, what are you feeling and, and why? What, what happened? And, you know, we started deconstructing. And this wasn't just a big, um, you know, this wasn't just some, some big epiphany we had. It was, was something that we worked on together as a team. And um, we got better at it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So don't be discouraged if you're talking to your kid or you're trying to figure out your own feelings and it doesn't come naturally. I think that's really brilliant and really, you know, wonderful of you to share that with the audience. The bottom line is that, you know, there are acceptable emotions that most everyone is willing to talk about that sad and mad. But the truth is there's many shades of gray and there's many variations to sad and mad. It's not just sad. It is um, I am destroyed, I'm distraught, or I'm a little upset, you know? So there's many shades of gray here. Children um, think that what they're experiencing is the end-all, be-all. The intensity that I experience my sadness is the way it will always be. I don't know how to survive that. Children need to be taught there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if you go through there, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to hold your hand. We're going to go through these emotions. We're going to talk about them. And I promise you, you're going to be okay. If you don't do that with your child, they think that the intensity of the sadness or the intensity of the anger that they're experiencing in the moment is the way it will always be. And that's frightening. That's just frightening. So the arguing is, again, a a red flag that says, I don't feel heard. Somebody help me here. Um, The tendency is that if we don't do that, things will backfire and they will get far worse. Because if you don't acknowledge what is at the root of this, if the feelings that don't um, get expressed, then they go into misbehavior as another way to express these feelings. And our next segment is going to be about consequences. And that's where you have to deal with all the things, all the misbehavior that your children try and do. Um, Most people think that arguing Um, is seen as an attempt to try and control others through intimidation and agitation. It's as if your child is trying to bait you or the other person is trying to bait you so you'll go toe-to-toe with them. Some people actually really enjoy the arguing. I think that they enjoy the arguing because it's an attempt, it's, it's all that they have to be able to figure out, how do I address these feelings? So I'm a real big person that says, look, Kindergarten is the area, is the time. This is my mentor taught me about, you know, take it down to the basics. Take it down to kindergarten level because there isn't the complication of the adult logical thinking. So break it down to what if I was talking to a kindergartner? What would I do? That's how you deal with feelings because feelings are raw. They're basic. They are not 
uh, part of your logical thinking uh, set. They're disconnected from logic. So when you're looking at a teenager who's screaming and yelling, you're actually dealing with a four-year-old who's going, hey, I'm so mad right now I could put my fist through a wall. Because teenagers will put their fist through a wall. <laughs> Ask my son. Um, you know, Or kick a hole. That's what my son's friend did. He kicked a hole in the wall. I want to just jump in and add some things to the arguing because, you know, being married and coming from, you know, family, you know, who, who enjoy the argument. I think sometimes that arguing also becomes a habit. Um, I can see that in my family and my, um, I can see how arguing becomes a habit. I think arguing can also be a way just to take out your frustration. I also think arguing can also be a tool when you're bored and, you know, there's a, a couple other, you know, reasons behind some of these arguing because when I see my kids or, you know, my family argue because they're bored, there's a lot less steam behind it. But I can see when some of my family members are frustrated and then they argue it out till they feel better. And that's why when the family dynamic starts arguing, I, I bring the kids to the gym. I get them working because even if it's anger underneath or hurt or all those things are not being heard, if I can dissipate the energy around it, we seem to do a lot better. Yeah, I think that the gold here is that you talked about arguing being a habit. That is the habit that people have used through their childhood to get somebody to address the feelings that are motivating the arguing. And so as adults, it looks like we're going to argue because that's the way that I get you to pay attention to me. And if parents can look at it and say, oh, okay, I see what it is you want. I don't like the way you're going about it. That's how you retrain them. As you say, you know, I prefer that you come to me when you first have these experiences or first have these feelings instead of waiting until you need to argue about it to get my attention. And like we talked about before, you apologize to your son. You could look at them and say, I'm sorry if I ever gave you the impression that the only way I'll talk to you about your feelings is after an argument. Remind me because that's my bad and I'm sorry. So that's how you stop the habit. You have to stop this habit of arguing. It's counterintuitive. It's counterproductive. It doesn't work. And, and I think that that's what everybody is really experiencing here. It's, it's, you don't argue because you're bored. You don't argue because it's a habit. That's destructive to relationships. It's learned behavior. And it has to be replaced with something else. Love that. Love that. Wrote it all down. We're visiting today with Sharon Silver at proactiveparenting.net. If your family has a history of arguing, and I know there's people out there that that have that, it can change and you can have a more peaceful household. You can have a more peaceful existence and you can set the stage for future generations to have a legacy of a necklace or a legacy of a financial endowment and not argue and divorce. So we really want to get some of these things at the core. We'll be back uh, after the break with more from Sharon Silver at proactiveparenting.net. Our topic today is arguing. We've got other episodes on yelling, consequences, and feelings. We'll be back after the break. Listen as your unfolds. Challenge what the future holds. Try and keep your head up to the sky. Love as they may 
Stay with us. There's lots more great conversation to come on Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. Are you happy with your life? Satisfied with the direction you're taking? More importantly, are you content with the results you're seeing? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join host Brian K. Wright as he talks to experts in many areas relating to life success, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Each week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. For more on Brian and the show, check out his website, briankwright.com. Each week is a dose of inspiration. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. Success Profiles Radio is a show that will clearly demonstrate the principle, if I can do it, you can do it. So don't miss this opportunity to take control of your life and your results. Success Profiles Radio with Brian K. Wright, Mondays at 5 p.m. Central, Man cannot live by bread alone. He must have his peanut butter. Peanut butter is a pate of childhood, and it's not just for kids as dogs love it too. Last night I gave my dog a pill hidden in peanut butter. What's a word for a messy concoction that helps the medicine go down? Sliver sauce. Mice apparently prefer peanut butter to cheese when it comes to luring them into the trap. But there are even more practical uses for peanut butter. Peanut butter contains natural oils, which makes it perfect for removing all kinds of sticky things, like gum stuck in your shoe or in your hair. What's a word for the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth? Arachibutophobia. And according to Barry Goldwater, if you don't mind smelling like peanut butter for two or three days, peanut butter is a darn good shaving cream. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Hey, mamas, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Sharon Silver of ProactiveParenting.net. You're going to want to check her out. This is the second episode in our four-part series about yelling, arguing, consequences, and and really about managing emotions, because emotions are at the root of yelling and arguing, and our own emotions are often what lead us to make stupid consequences or stupid choices uh, when we discipline our kids, which I have done and um, our next episode is going to be about consequences so you're going to want to stay tuned for that one of the things that happens Sharon is you know my kids are big arguers and um, when they go back and forth to their dad's house it's a transition okay and transitions one of my sons is go with the flow the other one has a hard time transitioning and it's not that any one household is better or worse than the other but the process of leaving and coming back and going to a different house especially you know with certain types personality types of kids can be more challenging than others and now each household has different rules different regulations a different dynamic uh, and different people there um 
and it's a, just a different set of rules like you have when a kid goes to school. And one of the problems that my kids experience is they have one set of rules at school. They come home. They have a different set of rules at mom's and dad's house. Despite our best efforts of trying to make the houses homogenous, you can't. You're two different families, two different everythings. Mm-hmm. Um but the kids have a lot of anxiety and sometimes it manifests or releases in this arguing. And I know I have anxiety when they leave because there's always something forgotten. We've got to juggle and and change. But I also have anxiety when they come home because that transitioning between households takes a little bit of time. You don't just take a kid and pop them from your house to somebody else's house, even if it's their their dad and the step-parent and the stepchildren, and have them come home seamlessly. They're not a ping-pong ball that can bounce back and forth between sides. Yeah, that's really true. And I think that most families will just basically, you know, love you and I'm here if you need me and get in the car and have a good weekend. But what if you set up a situation where you gave your kids permission um, or skills to help them manage that anxiety? that there were certain things that they needed to do. And I have no idea what they would be. It would be individual. And you can think about this as I'm talking and maybe you can figure it out for your kids and share it with the audience. But for the child who has anxiety as he's on his way to his dad's house, what would help him with his anxiety? Now, parents usually think that they have to come up with what that answer is, but you don't. The truth is you want to ask the child, what would help you with your anxiety? I could use extra hugs. I could use a note from you. I would love it if you would record something and put it on my phone so when I really need you, I could hear your voice. Um, You know, those are the things that would make them feel better because you're right. It is a very different set of circumstances and they do feel like ping pong balls. I'm a child who came from a divorced family, but I was a full-grown teenager when it happened. Um, so I was hell on wheels whenever I showed up. It was a very different situation. I was going to make them pay for what they had just put me through. Uh, it's not a pretty thing. I'm not proud of it, but I'm I'm honest, and I'm going to tell you what happened. Um, what would have made me feel better is if I had some kind of touch point. I knew that I was not forgotten when I was gone. Um, I knew that I could call one of my parents and and touch base with them if I needed them. Um, That wasn't, nobody ever said anything to me. All they ever said was, have a great time. So can you think of what it might be for your child? Well, I can think definitely my, my older one, he does well when he gets some I call it transition time. And, you know, it's not always possible, but like before he goes to his dad's, he likes to go in his room by himself. And I don't know what he does in there. He might say goodbye to his bed. I don't know. But he he needs that quiet, private time by himself just to, to chill. And if he gets his chill time before he leaves, you know, like comes home from school, has a little bit of time, and then goes over to his dad's, the transition works a lot better. And coming home, um, he can go in his room, and I don't bother him, I don't ask him any questions, I let him go, and he has that little bit of time to reset, and my younger one, he just needs to sit on my lap, 
And we don't even talk. We don't. I don't say, how was dad's? What did you do? Blah, blah, blah. I don't do anything. He just sits on my lap. And, you know, and it's like 15, 20 minutes. And so I've learned to kind of drop everything. Because if I drop everything for that 15-minute period of time and I let my other son go in his room and just decompress or whatever it is he does in there, um, we can have a much better day. But if I'm if I'm busy and he's got to rush out the door and pack up his stuff or pack up the night before and run out the door, bad things happen. If I don't give them that space when they get home and I also try to have something cooked, home cooked, or, you know, that reminds them a favorite when they come home from their dads to kind of re-entry into this uh, new uh, or not new, but like a different scenario because it's different energetically, it's different physically, it's different everything. And kids are resilient, but they're also not, like I said, they're not ping pong balls and you can't just pop them back and forth and expect them not to have feelings and giving them a little bit of transition space. And you know, Sharon, you know where I got this idea from is when I when I left corporate America and I started working from home, one of the problems I had was the transitioning between work and home. And yes, I have a, 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 a an office in my home and it's separate from the rest of the house. But where I used to have a freeway ride or I could stop and pick up the groceries on the way home, I had a transition moment between working Sandra and parent Sandra, that helped me move from one role to the other. And when I didn't get that because I was working at home and my transition was now open the door, step out, and now you're in this mom role, that was hard for me. And I needed a few minutes to to, to adjust from one set of conditions to the other. And I started really seeing that in my kids as they went from house to house. I think that that's, you're dead on. And what you basically have shown us is that hearing your children takes on many different forms. It isn't always about talking about the emotions. Sometimes it's watching their body language. It's knowing intuitively how to reconnect. That's being heard. When you feel that you're connected to another human being, every part of you feels heard and you open yourself up and arguing diminishes. If you don't feel heard, if that connection isn't there, then arguing will be the red flag, the the way that you get that connection. Because what happens after an argument? You reconnect. There's all kinds of hugs and kisses and reconnecting. So being heard has many different forms. It can come in the form of a good home-cooked meal, of sitting on someone's lap, on having private time so that you can reconnect with yourself in what you consider your safest place, where you're not threatened. When you come home as a working parent, that's cave time. And for years, they would say, well, dad needs time in his cave. You know, mom needs to keep the kids away. Well, now women are working and women need the same thing. So we all need time to decompress. We need time to recenter ourselves. We need time to get back to center so we can face what's next. And that's being heard. And if you look at your children, you will recognize that part of the arguing, if you were to rewind the video, Look at what happened beforehand. They felt rushed. They didn't feel heard. They felt talked over. They didn't feel heard. All of it plays into what causes arguing. 
Right. Or I, I could take it one step further or go, you know, neither of my kids signed up to go from house to house. You did not sign up to go from house to house. This is this was not your choice. This was not my children's choice or our children's choice. And so when you talk about the herd, I first misunderstood because I thought herd meant having to be like said something out loud. But, you know, their feelings of having going back and forth between two houses when their friends don't. Mm-hmm. Their feelings of having, you know, to split a holiday in half when their friends don't. Mm-hmm. The feeling of not seeing mom every night or not seeing dad every night when their friends don't. They might not be able to articulate all these feelings, but they sure have them. Yeah, and they need to be expressed in some way. And so behavior is the way children express those feelings. And that's what arguing is all about. So when you're trying to reset that for yourself and your family, what you want to do is you say, look, I've been arguing a lot with you guys. You guys have been arguing a lot with me. So I want to use a new sentence. Now, the sentence I'm going to offer parents isn't special. The words are not special. But where the words are going to be applied is what makes all the difference. And the words are, I need you to hear me. So instead of arguing, what if your child came to you and said, I need you to hear me? When you drop everything and listen. Yeah. So if you came to your child and you said, I need you to hear me, that would stop you from arguing. So it's crucial that everybody in the family knows and understands that when someone says, I need you to hear me, it does not mean that they are accusing you of not hearing them. It means that I am handing you these words and saying, please hear me. Please open yourself up and see that I'm in need. That's all it means. Don't take it personally. It's not a critique of how you've been doing this. So, you you know, sometimes words can be used and misunderstood as I'm attacking you. I'm saying that you're not treating me the way that I need you to treat me. That's not what we're doing here. We're actually using these words as a sort of a, a white flag saying, Here's what I'm saying. I want you to open the door, please. We're here with Sharon Silver of ProactiveParenting.net. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about this don't take it personally, because when I say I need you to hear me, Sharon, to be honest, as a parent, if a kid says that to me, there might be times where I don't hear him. You know what I mean? It's like like I'm I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm human. So let's deconstruct this when we get back after the break. Stay with us. There's lots more great conversation to come on Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. I am beautiful, no matter what they say. Words can't bring me down. I am beautiful in every single way. Yes, Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. 
If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live la bella vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on toginet.com. celebration of what would have been author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Roald Dahl's 100th birthday, Oxford University Press has published the Oxford Roald Dahl Dictionary. The dictionary is both authoritative and a little bit mischievous and includes everyday words plus those invented by Dahl for his books. One of my favorite words from the dictionary is Zazimus. That is what the big friendly giant calls the stuff that dreams are made of, which he whisks with his magical egg beater. Roald Dahl loves the letter Z, which he uses in his mystical words like fizz whizzing, zip fizzing, and zunk. By now you might be feeling a bit biff squiggled. That's another word for confused or puzzled. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. You are beautiful, no matter what they say. Words can bring you. Hey, mamas, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Sharon Silver of ProactiveParenting.net, and this is part of our four part series, so you're going to want to check out the other episodes. You can just Google Sharon Silver, find ProactiveParenting.net. She has lots of great programs and, and resource materials that can really take the sting out of parenting. And I will tell you, Sharon, one of the things about doing these radio shows and talking openly about my family, and my kids are pretty cool with it. They're like, you know what, Mom? I get what you're doing. I get how I can help other families. And I really do try to preserve my kids' privacy where appropriate and use just general um, general examples. But there's some that strike a chord. And when you talked about in the earlier segment, you know, your kid coming up and saying, like, I need you to hear me, I was cringing inside because you know, and I'm not making excuses, but I am a single mom, soul supporting. I take care of my 83 year old dad. I got three dogs and a company to run. And there are times when I'm tired, when I'm preoccupied. There are times when I don't care. Sharon, I'm a human being and I can't be this all knowing, all loving, all listening parent. I'm a human being. And there's times where I don't want to hear it or I don't care and I'm tired and I'm frustrated or I I also sometimes feel that I know better. So I'm thinking for my own child. And I, you know, I try to be aware of these things. It's just when I'm tired or I'm frustrated or I got beat up at work, you know, all those things that I think every parent, especially every working parent can um, understand and attest to. 
we're not always there for our kids 24-7. And so if they come to me and say, I need you to hear me, they could kind of get one of four answers, which is like, of course I know what you're talking about and let me tell you what you're thinking. Or I'm tired and I don't want to hear it. Or I'm half listening because I'm preoccupied because I got chewed out at work. And those are very, very real scenarios in our household. They're very real scenarios in everybody's life. I mean, I was just telling you during the break that I'm sleep deprived and I've been, this has been going on for weeks. And, you know, so it's hard for me to do this radio program and see uh, and try and be articulate. So I totally understand the question that you might want to ask your child in that moment is I want to hear you and I want to be really present for you. Is this something you need me to hear right now or can it wait 15 minutes? So now you're being honest and you're modeling that you are not an open door every single time you have a need, that I'm a human being and my life sometimes takes over. It, there's no problem with being totally honest with kids. It doesn't mean you're not being a good parent. It doesn't mean you're not being present. It means you're sharing a slice of the truth. Because I really love the idea of, of what you said is, you know, when we want our children, when our children come to us and say, I want you to hear me, a lot of times we'll just fill in the blank and start thinking for them. Hey, I know exactly how you're feeling. That is not solving the wound. That's not addressing the need to be heard, not by any stretch. That's going to frustrate them. And then you've caused arguing. That's exactly what we'll call, you know, which will open the door to arguing. Or the seething, you know, the seething that we talked about in the earlier episode. I've got one kid that'll argue, the other kid will slam the door and go in the other room and seethe. Right, because they're not truly feeling heard. You haven't hit the nail on the head. And no child really wants you to think for them. So it's really hard to do that kind of uh, really um, um, focused listening, where you're really there and you're really listening. It takes a lot of energy. So there's no problem saying, you know what, I need a cup of coffee. I need to just take a few minutes. Can it wait? Write it down so you don't forget. I'm not telling you I don't want to hear you, but I really want to be present for you. So give me a minute. And most kids will go, okay. You know, or they say, no, I need you to hear me right now. It's like, all right, I can hear you right now. I'll do my best. Like uh, that was uh, what I would add on there. I would do my best. Like I've already said to you, I'm overloaded. I'm over. Because one of the things I did do, Sharon, is I set up a scenario with both my kids that whenever they have a problem, they can come and talk to me. Now, that's a good thing. Don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. But lately I've been instituting some some ground rules which is look I need to go to the bathroom look I need to get a drink of water I need to just get something to eat let's just give me a couple minutes and then we'll talk about it because I have set it up and you know when I when you're like me and you work from home and you're available like I'm available 24 7 unless I'm on the radio and even then like they have texted me during the radio show and one of them put a note on a remote control car (laughs) and drove it into my office. I kid you not. It was taped right to the antenna. He drove it in down the hallway because he knows they're not allowed to come in when I'm on the air, but they drove the car in to say, you know, they're hungry and ask some questions. And he sent me a note. You know, (laughs) that's really, it's really good. And it goes directly to my next point. 
what if we reframe this and we start realizing that as our children get older and more and more of life happens to us and we give a moment of pause and we say, I need a moment, reframe it. And instead of thinking that you have let your kids down or you're not available for them, think about the fact that you've just empowered them to figure it out for themselves. You have just, life has just given you the moment where you say, I need a few minutes and possibly that'll cause them to take their own deep dive and figure it out for themselves. And that oh, is, my, I'm just saying like, oh my gosh, like I have to tell you, you just took me back to my young management days when I was first learning to manage. I felt like I needed to have the open door be all things to all people. And I created my sales team who was very successful, but they had to come to me for every need. And the a, a senior level manager came to me and he said, San, he goes, what you're going to do is you're going to wean off your staff and you're going to, you're going to delay 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour you'll get back to him. He goes, and you'll find that they'll learn to solve most of the things themselves. And even though they might ask, and you can say, I'll get back to you in two hours, that means they feel that you're attentive to them. They're feeling heard. They know that you're there for them, but you'll be there. And he goes, 95% of them will solve everything themselves. And you'll be able to be freed up to do your real management work it's the same thing in a family as the kids get it's older. Exactly, It's exactly the same thing. And that's what you want to do. You want to work yourself out of a job. And that's really what you're trying to do. Up, you know, if you have preschoolers, you're there, you're present, you're, you're addressing their foundational issues, and you're also giving them skills. Well, there gets to be around the age of 10, where now you want to start pulling back. You want to start working yourself out of a job. And if you're giving your kids all the answers and all the skills, you're not serving them. So it's okay. In fact, even if you don't feel exhausted, say, I'll get back to you in five minutes. Start weaning yourself out of your job. Because when they go to college, you're not going to be with them. When you're in, when they're in school, you're not with them. They have to know how to figure it out for themselves. So, you know, arguing is about uh, the, the need to be heard. Sometimes you need to be heard by yourself. You need to hear what yourself has to say to you. That's the ultimate goal. If we constantly raise children where they think that they have to go to the parent in order to find the solution, we have not done our job. So, well, and that's like, I'm just going to jump in here because I see a lot of, a lot of my mom friends doing that because they feel good about being needed. And yeah. one of the things I'm going to tell you, like Sharon, I'm an older parent, you know, you had your kid at first kid at 20. I had my first kid at 30. 30 something. I can't even remember how old I was, but, but I was, I was educated, traveled the world, done everything, been there, had savings before I started my family. So I'm at the older end. Like I have peers that are getting to be grandparents for the first time. You know, they have a, their 20 year old is having a, a baby and they're a grandparent. And I'm tired. Like, I don't want to do the day-to-day -day parenting anymore. Most of my peers are ending their parenting years, the active duty parenting years. You know, their kids are 18, 19, 21, or 25, you know, and my kids are, are 10 and 12. So age has something to do with my desire, too, to step back, and you've given me permission. 
Well, uh, you also need the words to use, which is uh, start using words like, what do you think I will say? How do you think I'll handle it? Take a few minutes and think about that and then come back and report to me. Oh, I love that. Now you're, you're handing it, you're putting it back in their basket and you're saying, okay, babe, I want, I've given you everything that I can possibly give you. Now my job is to give you support from a distance. And that distance is going to get greater and greater as you get older so that you're truly prepared to go out into the world. And, and that's empower them. Empower absolutely. them to be themselves. Absolutely. So you cannot always be there. So being heard, sometimes you have to transfer that responsibility so they can hear themselves. And that's the goal of a whole healthy human being. They're able to hear themselves. They can take care of their own needs. They know how to be responsible for their actions. You know, it, that's the goal of parenting. Well, so, it's funny you say that because like, you know, when my kids first started going over to their dad's house for the weekend, I would always uh, jump in and say things like, um, you know what, I need to show you how to handle a boo-boo. Like that was a big thing in our house. They'd have a cut or a scratch and they'd want to run to mom. Well, if they go to dad's house, they don't want to run to stepmom. You know, that's their choice. They could. She was there and she she, she obviously knew how to handle a boo-boo, but I would tell my kids, look, I cannot always be there. When you're at dad's house, I'm not going to be there. So I want you to know how to X, Y, and Z. So it's not very different than now I'm preparing them more for adulthood. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. It's the wisest thing that you can possibly do. And it happens around the age of seven, eight, nine. You do a teeny bit because seven-year-olds tend developmentally are very gloomy and very moody. And we get a little freaked out and we start to get in there and give them all that information. But around 10, 11, and 12, you want to start pulling back just a little bit. You'll find that it empowers your kids. All right, we will be back again next week with Sharon Silver. And the next upcoming episode, you're not going to want to miss it. It's about consequences and how do we set them, how do we enforce them, and how do we create them. We're here today with Sharon Silver at ProactiveParenting.net. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Motherhood Talk Radio.